Good morning, Canyon Hills, and welcome to all of you who are joining us on live this morning to our live stream services in Facebook or on YouTube. My name is Matt, and I'm the adult pastor here at Canyon Hills Fringe Church, and I just get to continue in our series from the book of Jonah this morning, specifically looking at Jonah chapter 3. But before I get there, I want to go ahead and just kind of set the stage a little bit for all of us so we can really understand where we're going to be going today. Two weeks ago, Pastor Sherry, she gave us this great introduction to the book of Jonah, showing us in Jonah 1 verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. See, we know that Jonah was a prophet of God. And Jonah was a disobedient prophet of God. He hears this message and he decides to do something pretty ridiculous. Now, a lot of us, we see this verse and we just kind of skip over it saying, hey, that's great. Prophets usually get these callings from God to go and minister to people. And it's the Ninevites in this instance. But we don't really understand the full history. And Pastor Sherry did a great job kind of setting it for us to really understand you see, the Ninevites in the city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And these were ruthless, violent, bloodthirsty, war-hungry people. What they would do to their prisoners of war was just horrific. They would take advantage of the women. They would kill the children. They would take the men and skin them and then take them out to the desert and bury them up to their necks and stake their tongues into the ground, forcing them to die of starvation and thirst and disease from the elements around them. If that wasn't bad enough, once they were dead, they would take them and lop their heads off and build these pyramids as a monument to anybody passing through the land saying Assyria and the Ninevites have been here. This is our territory now. They were these ruthless, terrible people. And so one day, Jonah is just kind of chilling and he gets this word from the Lord. It says, Jonah, my prophet, I've got something great for you. And Jonah's like, yes, let's do it, Lord. I've been waiting for this. I'm so excited. Where do you want me to go? He says, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. I can just imagine Jonah. <laughs> that's funny, God. I thought, you, I, I thought I heard you say Nineveh because we both know that's a terrible, terrible place, right? Nobody mourns the wicked. They're these terrible, horrible, bad people. I'm sure you didn't tell me Nineveh. Can you say again where you want me to go? I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. And so instead of hopping on the first camel out to Nineveh, he ends up going the opposite direction, getting on a ship from the port of Joppa and sailing 2,500 miles across the sea headed towards Tarshish. But you see, God's plan for Nineveh was greater than Jonah's disobedience. And so God sent this mass, massive storm and it started wrecking the boat on the sea. And the boat was tossing and going back and forth with the waves, threatening to break up. And the sailors and the captain, they're panicking. So they go downstairs and they find Jonah and say, Jonah, what is going on? How can you be resting and sleeping at a time like this? And Jonah says, well, I, I know what's going on. I'm a runaway prophet from the Lord and the storm is because of me. And I can imagine them saying, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Why? What do you think you're doing? What should we do? Jonah says, it's my fault. Just throw me overboard and all will be well. And I can imagine in their mind saying, that's funny because if this is what God is doing to a prophet who's running away, what would he do to people who throw his prophet over the side of the boat? He's surely going to kill us. So it's a no win for us either way. So they try everything in their power to lighten the boat, to do what they can to survive, but nothing works. 
And so finally they take Jonah and they throw him over the side and this great fish just comes up and swallows him whole. Now last week, Pastor Alec took us into chapter two where we see Jonah spending three days and nights in the belly of this great fish. And it's here that Jonah has this beautiful prayer of repentance. He says, God, I know I've been disobedient. God, I know that I've done wrong by you. God, I know that I'm running away. But if you give me a second chance, I vow to do what you have called me to do. I vow to make it right, to use the most of this second opportunity. And when we look at the very end of chapter two, it's only 10 verses long. We see God calling out to the great fish and the fish vomits Jonah back up on the shore. And I love it because if you look at the Hebrew, this word that's used of vomit for the whale or the great fish is this idea of vile vomit. It's a projectile. So I just get this picture of just people standing on the shore and all of a sudden there's this guy gets shot out of the water. He lands on the ground, starts rolling, gets up, probably trying to adjust his eyes because he's just been in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights, super bright outside, covered in fish guts and gunk, got sand in every part of his body. And he's like, okay, now I got to preach a message from God. Very interesting scene. And this is where we pick up in chapter three. If you join me in Jonah chapter three, verse one, it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, go uh, a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. See, one of the really fascinating things about this scripture is it says a second time. Did you catch that? It says a second time, God gave Jonah exactly what he had asked for. And in the Hebrew, this word second time is this word shenay, and it means a second chance, a do-over, a mulligan, a retry, a redo. And it's ironic because the one person who did not deserve to have a second chance got it from God. And we find that a little bit odd because we are people in our human nature who we don't like to extend second chances to people, do we? If somebody wrongs us, if somebody does something against us, we say, forget you. I'm gonna go and find somebody else. I'm gonna go and do it myself. I don't need you. I'm not gonna give you a second chance, but that's not who God is. See folks, the beautiful message, the point this morning is this. We serve a God who's a God of second chances. We serve a God who's a God of second chances. And that is great news for a lot of us because maybe there's some of you out there watching this live stream today who have been kind of teetering back and forth with this idea of surrendering your life to God. You say, man, I love these stories. I love watching online and learning about God, but just with the world around me, I don't see him present. I don't see what's going on right now. So I'm having a hard time really engaging and I don't know. Or maybe there's some of you who say, hey, you know what? I committed my, my God. I committed my life over to God when I was in youth, when I was at a youth camp or a summer camp, but so much has changed since then. There's no way that God would ever give me a second chance. I mean, why? Why would he want to give me a second chance? And even more so, how? How does God give me a second chance? Well, I picture it like an Etch-A-Sketch. How many of you know what an Etch-A-Sketch is? If you do, I want you, if you're watching online on either your phone or a computer, I just want you to type in the chat rooms right now to both of our social media hosts, if you ever owned an Etch-A-Sketch. And if you have, you can say yes or no. And if you have, I wanna see what is it that you love to draw on these Etch-A-Sketches. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Etch-A-Sketch is this little red thing that had this little gray screen inside that was filled with sand and these two white knobs that you would turn and you could draw all these really cool pictures on it. And some people were really, really talented at Etch-A-Sketch art. 
And then there were other people like me who thought they were really talented at doing Etch-A-Sketch art, but it definitely was not whatsoever. But the way that I see it is like this. With an Etch-A-Sketch, you can draw things, and then when you're done, you just shake it, and it becomes clear. And I think that's how we can see this idea of second chances with God. Every time that we sin, every time that we make a mistake, that we fail, that we fall, we're marking them in the Etch-A-Sketch of our life. And they're on display for everyone to see. But when we learn to truly surrender our lives over to God and hand him the Etch-A-Sketch of our life, he just grabs it, shakes it. He doesn't even look at it. He just shakes it and hands it back to us and says, you've been made clean. Here's a second chance. Don't waste it. Here's a blank slate for you to move forward, to do something great with your life. Don't let it pass you by. Here is your second chance. You see, folks, I think God is giving each and every one of us a second chance in our life. And he's calling us to do something with it, just like he called Jonah. You know, as he said, I'm giving you, I'm coming a second time. And the message I have for you, what I want you to do is to go. I want you to go. Now this word go in the Hebrew is actually comprised of two different words. The words are kum and yalak, kum yalak. And it means to go now. It's this idea of urgency, of suddenness, of immediacy. And whenever God gives you a second chance at something, you don't hesitate. You go now. You say, yes, God. Yes, Lord. Whatever it is, I'm all in. I'm going to go for it. Because if we procrastinate, if we keep pushing it back or dragging our feet, we're going to find excuses and reasons to not do it. And if God is giving us a second chance at something, he doesn't want us to waste it. He wants us to kum yalak. He wants us to go now to do the thing that he has called us to do without reservation, without waiting. And I think for each and every one of us, there is something that if you truly search the spirit in your life that God is calling you to do now. Maybe it's to repair a broken relationship. Maybe it's to take a risk with something. Maybe it's just truly surrender your life over to God. Maybe it's to offer forgiveness or grace or mercy to someone. I don't know what it is, but I guarantee you, if you really look at your life, you can see that there's something in your life that God is calling you to do now, to stop procrastinating, to stop beating around the bush, to actually engage because this is your shot. Don't miss it. This is your chance. He's giving you the second chance at life and he wants you to make the most of every possible opportunity, just like Jonah did. And what was Jonah's opportunity? Not only I'm coming to you a second time, not only do I want you to go, but I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, does that sound awkward to anybody else other than me? Anybody catch the word that God used here? The great city of Nineveh. How can Nineveh be great? How could Nineveh, this place that's just a horrible, wicked, bloodthirsty, violent location ever be something considered great? Well, if you look at the history of Nineveh, it actually was great in regards to its influence. See, Nineveh was made up of about 120,000 people during this time of all different backgrounds and social lives and ethnicities. And they were very well and trained in war tactics and commerce and all kinds of things. So they held a lot of power, prestige, and influence in the land. In fact, some scholars say that there's no other city that influenced the Assyrian Empire more than Nineveh did. 
Not only that, but it was also great in its size. We read that it takes three days to walk across Nineveh. And it had this massive wall, this seven and a half mile long wall that surrounded the city. It was this fortress, this amazing, powerful city. And yet this is exactly where Jonah is called to go. He says, I want you to go. Don't delay. Don't wait. This is your chance, your second chance to get it right. Go and proclaim the message that I've given to you. And then in verse three, we see that Jonah finally gets it right. Look at this. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. You see, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. In the past, he hadn't. He had been disobedient. Even delayed obedience is still disobedience, but he finally got it right. And I think that we can really learn from this because there are times in our life, in our past, where we have been disobedient to God, where we have strayed away, where we've tried to run in the opposite direction of what God has been calling us to do. But God is still looking at you and he's saying, be like Jonah. Here's your second chance, go now. You see, God is calling us to go now to stop waiting, to stop pushing it off, to go now and truly do what it is that he is calling us to do. And what was it that he called Jonah to do? We'll take a look at this next verse in verse four. It says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That is a powerful, powerful message. When you truly start to look at it, this is what Jonah is being called to do, what Jonah is being called to step into this proclamation from the Lord. And the word started here in the Hebrew is a very interesting word. It's this word shalabo. And what the word means, it means to unloosen, to unbind or to untie. And if you remember Pastor Alex's message in chapter two, Jonah had a scripture where he said, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. See, folks, in order for Jonah to truly step into what God was calling him to do, the first thing he had to do was to let go of what he was holding on to, to let go of the idols that he had placed in his life. And that's a calling to us as well. I think that God is calling us to act. He's giving us this chance. He wants us to go now, but he knows that he's never gonna fully be able to use us to our fullest possible potential if we keep holding on to certain things in our life. And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's financial security. Maybe it's a bad relationship or comfortability. Maybe it's ego. Maybe it's what other people think about you. I don't know. But there's something in your life that you're holding on to and you're saying, God, I really wanna be used by you, but I just gotta hold on to this for a little bit longer. I don't wanna let it go. What God's telling us is I can't fully use you for how I have designed your life to be until you let it go until you surrender it to me and allow me to create in you the best possible potential you could ever experience in your life. But we struggle with that because we like to hold on to things. Somebody once told me this analogy and I loved it. It's think of holding a whole ton of beach balls. If I were to stand up here and hold like nine, 10 beach balls in my hand, each one of them representing something different, family, finances, job security, social life, playing with pets, whatever it may be. You've got all these beach balls, right? You're trying to juggle them in your hands. 
And if God were to come along and have another beach ball that says blessings, and he says, I want to give you this blessing and he tosses it to you, will you ever be able to catch it? No, because your hands are already so full taking all of this stuff on, you're going to miss the blessing and it's going to pass you by. Folks, I think that's what God is calling us to do. He says, I want to bless you. I want to use you. I want to give you a second chance. I want to restore grace and mercy and forgiveness into your life. And I want you to do it now. But the only way it's going to happen is if you let go. If you let go of what's holding you back from me truly using you to your fullest possible potential. Because I want to see you move forward in life. And that's exactly what he did for Jonah. When Jonah let go of his ego, when he let go of his pride and what he wanted to do and surrendered to God's will, he was able to move forward into Nineveh to do what God had called him to do. And just imagine what must have been going through Jonah's mind as he stepped into this scene. He knows the history of Nineveh. He knows how wicked, horrible, evil that these people are, how war-torn, how angry they are, how violent they are, how much they're prone to just hating outsiders and people like him. And yet he's got to walk into the middle of their town and proclaim a message. And I can imagine as he's walking into town thinking, oh man, what possible message could I preach to them that's going to make them happy and not kill me? What can I proclaim to them that's going to turn their life around? Maybe I can give them this health and prosperity message. Maybe that'll go over well. Or maybe I can go ahead and preach to them like, hey, maybe there's something missing in your life and that's why you keep going to war. The thing you're missing is God, so stop going to war and find God instead. No, that probably is not going to go over well. What about a three-point bulletin sermon about, hey, this is about health and prosperity and how to live a happy life. First, stop being mean and violent. Second, stop killing people. Third, don't worry, be happy. Everybody's great. Then I can end with some kind of prayer or some hymn or some poem that's just going to make them feel all warm and fuzzy and and gooey on the inside. And it's just going to be great. But that's not at all the message that Jonah is called to preach, that Jonah is called to proclaim. And so he walks into the town. I can just imagine as he's proclaiming, which means to verbally shout with an elevated voice. He's yelling at the top of his lungs, this message. And as he's doing that, I just imagine the doors of the bars and the homes are opening and these people are just coming out, grunting and groaning, all scarred up in their life. They're coming out and they're surrounding Jonah as he begins to proclaim this message. And in his head, he must be thinking, oh man, I just, I got to talk less. I got to smile more. I just, I, I can't let them know what I'm against or what I'm for. I just got to keep going forward. But he's called to proclaim a very powerful message. Look at this. The message he's called to proclaim is this. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Eight words in the English language, five in the Hebrew. It's short. It's concise and it's offensive. Short, concise, and offensive, but it's exactly what they need to hear. It's so powerful. And if you look at this word overturned in the Hebrew, it's this word hippok. And the word actually has a double meaning. The word can either mean overturned and destroyed or overturned and changed. And so the proclamation coming from God through Jonah is this. You have 40 days to either be destroyed or to have your life changed forever. 40 more days, the decision is yours, but know that God's mercy, it's not gonna last forever for you. Time is ticking away. You need to make a decision right here, right now, what you're gonna choose to do. And I'm gonna say something controversial for a second. 
So before you jump through the screen and try to strangle me up here on stage, let me explain what I mean by this. As Christians, we need to understand that God's mercy is a limited time offer. God's mercy is a limited time offer. And some of you are probably saying, whoa, heresy, blasphemy. That's not true. God's mercy is always available for us. You know what? You're right. But what I mean by this is tomorrow is not promised for you or for me. There's no guarantee that we're going to wake up tomorrow. And maybe some of us are on day 39 of God's proclamation in our life to either be destroyed or to have our lives changed forever. God is offering his mercy as a free gift to you and to me. And he doesn't want us to waste it. He doesn't want us to let it pass us by. He wants us to cum to go now, to let go of the things that are holding us back from truly receiving his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness, and to do something amazing with it. Don't let his mercy pass you by because we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We see that in the midst of our world right now. With the coronavirus, people are healthy one day, they're gone the next day. People are getting sick and going into hospitals and and things are changing so rapidly every single day that we need to understand that mercy, yes, God is freely giving it to you and me, but we can't let it pass us by. We have to grab a hold of it right here, right now, and to do something with it, to do what he has called us to do, to step into the life, to the ministry, to the proclamation that God is giving to you and to me. And that's what Jonah did. And as we transition into verse five, if you were reading this for the very first time in this day and age, you would not have believed it. Look at this. Verse five says this, the Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Notice it doesn't say they believed Jonah. It says they believed God. And I pray and I hope that if you feel that maybe I'm coming across hard today or that I'm convicting or challenging you, that you don't believe a word that I have to say because as a human, my words, they're worthless. But I pray that you be attentive to what God may be trying to speak into your life right here, right now. Because when God speaks, you better listen. You better be attentive to what is being said here. It says that they believed and then they fasted from the least to the greatest and then they put on sackcloth. It's this crazy story, but let's go back to the beginning real quick. It says, they believed God. If you understand as a first time reader during this day and age, you would not have believed this. It's easy for us to understand that, but in that day and age, you wouldn't have believed it. It would be like me saying that Bill Clinton is now in Christian radio and he has a talk show on sexual purity or that Miley Cyrus is a tele-evangelist or Paris Hilton is a gospel singer. Most of you'd be like, no way, that's never gonna happen. But this is even greater than that. This would be like me telling you overnight, the city of Las Vegas, sin capital of the world, as it's called, the city of Las Vegas turned their lives around. Every single person accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and savior. And overnight, they turned all of the casinos into churches. And there's just nothing but worshiping God 24 seven in Las Vegas. Some of you would be saying, that's never gonna happen. That would never happen. I can't even imagine what that would look like. That's what we need to understand is happening here. The Ninevites believed God. These war-torn, angry, violent people turned their life around. They heard the proclamation from Jonah, the message from God, and they didn't delay. They didn't hesitate. They acted now. 
And what they do? They started by fasting. Fasting in the Old Testament times was a sign of repentance, of dedication to the Lord. But not only that, it says they put on sackcloth as well. Sackcloth is just this material that's made of goat's fur. It's like burlap. It's itchy. It's uncomfortable. It's just this bad stuff. It's terrible. I got some laughs from some of you out there. I'm glad you caught that. It's just this horrible stuff. But the sackcloth is this daily physical reminder of their sin. We're not even good enough to be on normal clothing. We need something that's just gonna make us itch, that's gonna keep us uncomfortable to remind us of where we've been and where we want to go. But not only that, it goes even further beyond the city. It goes up to the royals. Look at this in verses six through nine. It says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. He goes on to say, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Look how this ends. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion, Turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. For the king to step off of his throne midday, it was a sign of repentance. Not only that, nobody would ever see him outside of his royal robe. So for him to take his robe off, to put on sackcloth and pour dust on his head, it was a bold and it was a loud statement. He's saying, I am unworthy. I am a sinner and I am need of grace and mercy and forgiveness from God. And not only that, I want to issue it to everybody in the kingdom from the least to the greatest that everybody out there would also partake in this fast and put on sackcloth. You know what? Let's even do it to the animals. So that way, everything in the land is a reminder to us of our sin and where we want to go. But then he says something so important at the very end. He says, let us call urgently upon God. Let us urgently call upon God that he would hear us, that he would hear our repentance, that he would hear our cries for help, for salvation, and that maybe, who knows, he may extend some mercy on us and show us some favor. You see, folks, that's what it means to have a heart that truly aches, to call urgently upon the Lord, to have a heart of humble repentance. You know, as I was reading this, I couldn't help but realize that my heart aches too. My heart aches for the condition, the spiritual condition of the church in America. And I think that this passage, this chapter should be a wake-up call to every single one of us who calls ourselves Christians. Because I think there's a lot of us who are missing out on God's mercy and his grace and what he's trying to do. When I look around the world, I don't see people boldly proclaiming their faith boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ like Jonah. I don't see people repenting like the Ninevites. I don't see people calling urgently upon God in the midst of their needs and the pandemic they're finding themselves in. And it breaks my heart. It makes my heart ache. And the only thing that I know how to do as a response to this is to pray and to ask for forgiveness and repentance for the failed spiritual leadership in America. 
in our churches. And I know some of you are like, hey, you know what? You guys at Canyon Hills and all these other churches, you're doing a great job. And, and thank you. I, I know where your heart's coming from. But let's look at the reality of our situation for a second. When you turn on the news, when you look at social media, when you walk outside, you go to the stores, I don't see people boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ wherever they are. I don't see people sharing their faith. I don't see people living lives that are pleasing in the sight of the Lord. I don't see people crying out in utter dependency to God saying, God, we're in need of rescue. And don't get me wrong. I do believe that there's a lot of people out there, a lot of you watching today that are doing a great job with this that you're sharing these messages, that you're you know, working with your friends and your coworkers and you're getting the name of Jesus Christ out there. But when I look at the body as a whole, the world as a whole, who's under the care of the Christian church, I just see a bunch of Christians who tune in to live stream service, spend their 40 minutes and then live a completely different life. And we see it being displayed in social media. We see it being displayed in how people talk with one another. But I think this is time for us to have a wake-up call. This is our time, our second chance to go now, to do something with the mercy and the grace that God has called us to. And I so wish that God would instill in me a kind of prophecy, a proclamation that I could say, you have 40 days to either repent or be destroyed. And I pray that the church, I pray that the Christians, I pray that anybody listening to this message would listen to that and their lives would be changed by it. They would wake up and repent from their ungodliness, repent from their materialism, repent from whatever it is that's holding you back from truly being used by God and start to live the life that God has called you to live. Because check this out, either God is real and he is who he says he is, or this is all just some big joke. But if God is who he says he is, the Lord, the provider, the one who offers mercy and grace and forgiveness, as Christians, we need to be picking up our cross every single day and changing the world around us. Having a proclamation like Jonah, it's time to wake up. It's time to stop beating around the bush, avoiding the hard things, tiptoeing through our current situation or what we're going through. It's time to be bold Christians professing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that he so freely offers to every single one of us to every person we come in contact with. That's what God's calling us to do. Because God wants to extend to you that grace. And we see that grace being extended to Jonah in chapter three, verse one, the second time. But in verse 10, he does it as well. You see, God wants to extend grace to you and to me, just like he does to Jonah and just like he does to Nineveh. It ends by saying, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. See, it's my heart's desire. It's my prayer that we would not miss out on the second chance that God is giving us today. And I really hope as I close that you would search your life, that you would search whatever it is you're going through right now and see what it is that God is calling you to do. What God is calling you to cumulac, to go now and do what God is calling you to let go of in your life so he can truly use you and that you would be boldened and empowered to stand up, to show the world who Jesus Christ is. You see, I think there's so many people who know what Christians are against 
but there's very few people who know what Christians are for because it's all that they see. It's time for us to boldly proclaim the top of our voices, like Jonah did, the name of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that he offers to us. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I ask that you would forgive us of complacency, God, of apathy, of self-centeredness. God, that we as your people would repent of our sins, the sins that break your heart. God, I pray that you would give us a fire. God, that you would give us a passion to be Jesus in this world right now, to love recklessly, to give generously, to show forgiveness and mercy. So God, we ask that you extend your grace and your mercy on us today. God, that you would empower us to use this second chance to let go of the things that are holding us back, to go now and to do what you've called us to do. Father, we love you so much. We pray this in your name.